Welcome to the Drink Less, Live More podcast. If you are someone that is wanting to evaluate your relationship with alcohol, you've come to the right place. You don't have to call yourself anything. We don't have to use any labels. You're just someone that knows something isn't working for you and you want to make an intentional change. Let's go. Dr. Brooke Scheller is a doctor of clinical nutrition, author, and the founder of Functional Sobriety, a nutrition-based program for alcohol reduction. After finding freedom from alcohol in 2021, Dr. Brooke took her experience in sobriety and applied her expertise in nutrition and functional medicine to help others change their relationship with alcohol. Her approach results in improved brain health, mood, energy, focus, gut health, and hormone balance. Her launch of Functional Sobriety led to the development of her online community, the Functional Sobriety Network, and several online programs with members across the globe. Functional Sobriety offers the first-ever custom supplement program for for the sober and sober curious. As a motivational speaker, Dr. Brooke helps to spread the word about functional nutrition, alcohol-free wellness, and the power of sobriety. She currently resides in New York City, And you can follow Dr. Brooke on Instagram at Dr. Brooke Scheller. And you can learn more at brookscheller.com or functionalsobriety.com. Welcome to the podcast, Brooke. Dr. Brooke Scheller. I love it. (laughs) I love that I get to actually meet you. I've been following you on Instagram for a little while. And it's so great to see your face. It's so great to meet you too. I'm, I'm enjoying our chat even before we're hopping on here. So I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. Yeah. Well, I was sharing a little bit with you, but you know, I've talked some with my listeners and and clients around my functional medicine journey. That was actually sort of the kickoff to my November 1st, 2020. I've got to take a break from alcohol. Something's got to give here. So I saw a functional medicine physician in October of 2020, got back the lab work and bam, I, it was clear as day that alcohol was the culprit for me feeling absolutely terrible. You know, part of me was thinking, oh, they're going to find something else. I bet it's my thyroid or I bet it's this, you know? And so the nurse and me was crossing our fingers and hoping it's something else. Right? Yeah. Then maybe I won't have to do this. You know, I won't have to do this really hard thing that I've been thinking about quite frankly, for probably a decade, you know, like, do I really want to keep drinking as much as I am? And then in 2020, of course, for many of us, it really got ramped up and got pretty scary where it was like, I don't like where this is headed. This could get really far down a rabbit hole that I don't want to go down. So I would love for you to share just kind of, you know, what functional nutrition uh, looks like, how that can support people in this journey. I found that to be very helpful to, to start to replace some things with some supplements, but really the food was the big thing that changed. And I was really eating foods of all colors. And, you know, those were sort of the recommendations. I knew that stuff, but it was not stuff I was doing until it was kind of put in front of my face. So tell me just how your approach is different than somebody that just says, you know, I'm going to take a 30 day break for sober October and that's it. You know, what, what does your approach look like? Yeah. So first of all, I'm glad you had that experience because sometimes we really need to see what's going on in our bodies for us to have that moment where we're willing to say, okay, like this is, there's actually something going on here and I need to take a stand against that. And I think that that experience is really, really helpful for people, especially if they're like you were contemplating this for years and years and years. 
And it's almost like the idea of hitting a rock bottom, right? Like a lot of times we think of a rock bottom as I'm losing a job or I'm getting a DUI or I'm having some like big dramatic thing happen to me. But a rock bottom can be I'm suffering with my health and there's something going on with me physically, mentally, emotionally that is making me say that this isn't right for me anymore. And so when I look at your experience like that, it's almost, it's like a health based rock bottom around alcohol. Right. And that's really, really common for people. Um, I see it a lot with my clients. I felt like it was something that contributed to part of my journey as well. And for the backstory, I know you've shared a little bit about my bio and we'll, you know, we'll talk more about how I kind of stumbled upon this field and, and specializing in this, but I have three degrees in nutrition, as we were just talking about, and I worked as a functional medicine practitioner for many, many years. And all during this time, I was also a heavy drinker, right? So I'm the one who's trying to take the science and say, well, I, I want to kind of prove that you can be healthy and still drink alcohol. And you know, I experienced in working a lot with clients too, that a lot of people have these associations with alcohol or these really, really tightly knit, you know, relationships that are really, really difficult to break unless we have this kind of bigger thing that shows up and says, okay, it's like, we really need to make a change. So when I was, um, when I got sober in June of 2021, I actually prior to that had authored a textbook chapter in a textbook on integrative therapies for substance use disorders. And I wrote about nutrition and supplements for substance use disorders. Meanwhile, all of this, I'm writing this, mind you, like in the last kind of couple of months of my like heaviest drinking before I quit drinking. And um, it, it's an interesting kind of part of the evolution and <laughs> plan um, from my higher power, I think, that put me here and helped me get to this place of finding sobriety, but also finding it through the lens of what I feel like is my purpose in that I have 10 plus years of training in nutrition. And I didn't really recognize it until I got sober, how much nutrition could really be a part of this journey. And then when I looked around, like no one was talking about the functional medicine kind of pieces to it, like looking at the gut and looking at hormones and uh, looking at vitamin deficiencies. And so when I started joining these online communities, Instagram, you know, sober Instagram and all of that, I was like, there is a real gap here. And here I am, I have a lot of this information. I technically wrote a textbook chapter on this information. And so I decided to just start taking my knowledge and, and sharing it with others. And it spawned the evolution and the development of my approach, which is called functional sobriety, which is really a functional medicine, nutrition-based approach to a sober lifestyle. And that is looking at things like gut health and hormone balance and nutrient deficiencies and how all of these things contribute to um, why we feel like crap with long-term alcohol use, because we're destroying these different avenues of our body. But also there's a lot of different ways that we can utilize tools in terms of supplements and ways that we're eating to support elimination of cravings, to support boosting energy, boosting mood, so that we can make it easier 
on ourselves when it comes to putting down a drink, because what do we always leave ourselves with? Okay. Well, we don't have the willpower. Well, if we can control our quote unquote willpower through actually changing our body and supporting our body so that we don't have these major cravings, it makes it a lot easier for us to stick with it and to stay on that sober or sober curious journey. Yeah. So let's talk about, you talked about cravings in that context. We're talking about mm-hmm. alcohol cravings, but let's talk about sugar and sugar cravings. Mm-hmm. You have a whole chapter in your, in your book that was really helpful just to kind of break it down for me. And some of this stuff, again, it's like, yeah, I sort of knew it, but it was just a different perspective, which was really helpful. It's the number one thing that clients come to me in the early days. Mm-hmm. They come to me and say, Rachel, I cannot stop eating sugar. I've gained 10 pounds already. And they start to panic and they start to future trip thinking I'm going to be a hundred pounds heavier just because I stopped drinking. This isn't worth it. I'm going to start drinking again. So what guidance would you give people in that, you know, maybe it takes people six months to kind of get through that sugar craving. I did not have a lot of that, but I'm convinced it's because I was doing more of that functional mm-hmm. approach. So I started mm-hmm. those things at the same time, which was really helpful. So I did not have a lot of sugar cravings. So it's one that's a little hard for me to relate to, but I think there's a reason why, because I was doing other things behind the scenes. Well, and your experience in that speaks volumes because when I work with clients and I have many ways of working with clients, I have some online programs, I have an online group um, and I do see some clients one-on-one, but for the most part, when people come in, we provide some really simple dietary recommendations and supplement recommendations that can help with curbing cravings. And not only cravings, like you said, for alcohol, but also for sugar. And so, you know, oftentimes in the first, like you said, six months, um, but I have clients close to two years in and are still having sugar cravings, right? When they join the program. And so the reason why that's happening oftentimes with what's more widely spoken about is dopamine and how sugar can still, you know, increase dopamine and give us that feel good. It can give us that reward, that sense of pleasure. But actually, in a lot of what I talk about in the book is how it relates to blood sugar. And there's some really great books and studies from actually many, many years ago that, um, you know, I'm trying to resurface this information because there's not a lot about it today. There's not a lot of new research in this area. And, um, you know, it's an area that is so fascinating. And, you know, our blood sugar plays a really big role in this avenue because when we are regular long-term drinkers, it has an impact on our blood sugar levels. And this isn't just because alcohol contains carbs or contains sugar. Sometimes it does, right? If we have a cranberry and vodka drink that has a bunch of sugar in it, well, that's going to affect blood sugar in a different way than a vodka club, right? So I call this the vodka club theory because people always think, well, I can have a vodka club. It's better for me. It's less carbs, it's less calories, etc. But actually the alcohol itself is having an impact on our blood sugar levels because it's affecting how our liver releases the hormones that manage our blood sugar. And so it has actually not much to do with the sugar and the carb content of the drink, but actually the ethanol, which is the part that makes us drunk right? So the part that we all want when we're drinking um, is actually sabotaging that blood sugar. So this is also part of the reason why when we have one drink, 
it's hard to stop, right? Because it creates this kind of roller coaster. We have a drink, we get an increase in our blood sugar, we have a drop in our blood sugar. And now, well, what's happening is we're wanting more to drink because it's going to shoot that blood sugar back up, right? That's also why after you drink, drink after drink, you want to have fast food at two o'clock in the morning, or you want to have something unhealthy shortly after, right? Because you're on this blood sugar roller coaster, even though you've already had dinner, you probably aren't really hungry, right? It's a blood sugar thing. And so even after drinking, oftentimes we're still experiencing these uh, irregularities in our blood sugar. And so one thing that people can do, and this is kind of the simplest recommendation I give across the board, is implementing and adding more protein into every meal and snack that you're eating, right? So protein is going to help stabilize blood sugar. It's going to help us avoid those experiences of low blood sugar, because anytime we get into a low blood sugar state, it's actually going to increase our vulnerability to having something sweet and needing sugar or needing a drink. So if we can avoid getting into that low blood sugar state, we can avoid having to bring on the, the big guns of our willpower, right? So uh, not only adding in protein, but the other important thing here is really trying to have something to eat every three to four hours, not going long periods of time between meals and snacks, especially in the afternoon. So what time is usually the witching hour for most people? It's five o'clock. And what's usually happened is we haven't had eaten anything since lunch. It's now been several hours and we're really just hungry. And alcohol is kind of filling that low blood sugar moment that we're experiencing. So that afternoon snack, having something high protein can be a really, really helpful tool for people to start right away. Yeah, that's great guidance. I love that. So a lot of my clients will come to me and they're perfectionists, self, like self-proclaimed perfectionists. Sometimes they don't know it yet. And we kind of discover that mm -hmm. it was part of my journey too. I've been unraveling. I say I'm a recovering perfectionist. I've said that for years. Mm -hmm. So when I was first starting, I was like, all I'm going to do is focus on just not drinking and the food. Obviously I was changing some of what I was eating, but I was eating fairly healthy even before that. So that wasn't a huge shift for me. But I see a lot of people come into my program and they're like, they want to change everything in their lives. It's going to be all better and they're going to fix everything. And they're making these huge life shifts in so many different areas. So how do you help balance maybe that even perfectionism or wanting to do it all? And then they get burnout because they're trying to do it all. They're trying to eat perfectly and they're trying to sleep mm -hmm. perfectly and they're trying to not drink and exercise and they're sort of, you know, doing it all. How do you help people avoid burnout? with that. And if they do come in with maybe an unhealthy relationship with food, which was part of my journey that I had to unravel years before I did anything about the alcohol, how do you help people that are in that space? A lot of my clients live in that space. <laughs> yeah. Well, I take a really soft approach. I'm like very against hardcore dieting and hardcore restriction. I'm not even a hardcore restrictor of sugar when people come in, like if you can manage your sugar by pairing it with having something to eat, having protein, um, not overdoing it, to be honest, I'd rather someone have sugar than have alcohol when they're initially starting their process. Right. Um, but I also, and you'll see this in what I talk about in my Instagram and in my programs and all of it, like I don't promote any, any types of diets. I don't promote any like 
you know, uh, quick fixy type of content because it's not really about that. The biggest thing for me is focusing on alcohol and letting food support that. So it's really not a diet plan. It's not, you know, um, something that really requires a lot of changes. It's more about how do you start implementing some of these small tools of nutrition and supplementation, which is another really big component, something that can really, I think, up the ante on a lot of people's progress, especially if you're listening and you feel like you've cut back or you've quit and you still feel kind of crappy, like you, you're still not feeling a lot of energy, your mood is really off, you're, you haven't lost weight, and that's something that you're hoping for. Um, and I think that there is becoming this like stigma around the alcohol free space of like, it's become, it can become the diet space, right. Of like, um, you know, this quick fix. And there's a lot of, I think people that are, are trying to promote it in that way. Right. Because it can, it can almost easily translate across to that. But for me, it's, it's more about letting nutrition be the, the foundation or the tool that helps to springboard you to the sober, sober, curious life that you're desiring and less of, you know, you're going to come in and overhaul your whole life. Um, it's more about focusing on one piece of it and letting those other pieces support it. If yes. that makes sense. Yes, that is also yeah. my approach and guidance to people. One of the pillars of my program is self-love. And mm -hmm. I just found, especially during that first month of really focusing on that nutrition and eating colorful foods and varieties of foods, it just felt like I was loving my body and I hadn't done that for mm -hmm. so long. And so that's a huge component too. Like whatever you're putting into it, like, does it really feel like love, like a big warm hug to your body? If it's a cookie and you can honestly say a cookie feels like love to you, then eat the mm -hmm. cookie, you know, like that's yeah. great. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think we're really disconnected from our bodies when we're drinking, especially if we're drinking pretty heavily. Right. And so we start to feel these things again. Like we start to really recognize like, oh, actually my energy is really bad. Like I can now feel these things. I'm not just drinking again to combat that, right? But for me, it's really about the understanding and the education. Like a, a big part of my programs and what I do, and, and even as you know, from reading the book is arming people with all this information, right? So that you can apply it to yourself and you can say, oh, you know, that's interesting that, you know, I do have these digestive issues and maybe, maybe this has been a contributor to that. And when you cut back drinking and you start to say, okay, well, maybe, you know, Dr. Brooke talks about a probiotic or these other things that can help to support the gut. Let me start trying that. Wow. I'm noticing a difference, right? It's, it's for me more about everyone finding this journey on their own time through the education factor of it. Right. Because again, like the idea of coming in and overhauling your diet and on keto and, you know, doing all these things very extreme is you're not even actually learning about yourself, right? You're just taking the information and plopping it, you know, on your own lap, but you aren't necessarily even saying like, do I feel good doing this? Right. And so again, it's really just about coming back to yourself. I love the idea of the self-love thing because it really is just such a, an opportune time for us to get back in touch with our own bodies and understanding what's going on with our physical, mental, emotional health. 
Yeah. I love that approach. The thing I did simultaneously with functional medicine and, you know, changing my diet supplementation, I started reading quit quitlet. I mean, that was one of the biggest Mm -hmm. things. So to your point of education, my eyes were just wide opened when I started reading some of this Mm -hmm. stuff, I have a master's degree in nursing and I didn't know all of the impacts that alcohol has on our body. And part of me was ashamed of that. And part of me was just plain pissed. I'm like, why are we not talking about this more? I don't understand what's happening. You know, I had an experience of telling a physician, I don't know, it's probably six, seven years ago. Like, Hey, I, you know, I kind of do binge drink on the weekends. That was kind of where I was at, where it's like, yeah, I would drink three or four drinks on the weekends. And it wasn't really drastically impacting my health, but I told her that. And she goes, well, everybody does that. I do that. And I'm like, okay, you know, That's so I skipped right out answer. of there. Exactly. <laughs> I skipped out of there. Like, yes, she gave me permission. I can keep doing my binge mm-hmm. drinking. This is wonderful. And then I was honest with my functional medicine doctor and she had a different reaction. She was like, okay, I know that, you know, by your face that that's too much alcohol. And I know that, you know, by your face that you need to either cut back or quit altogether. And it was just kind of a totally different approach. I mean, she was, she didn't shame me around it, but it was like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is okay. It's not your lab work in front of me tells us it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I write about that a little bit in the book too, because I think it's such an important thing. We've all had those experiences of going to our doctor and filling out that form and being like, you know, how do I answer this? Am I going to be honest? Am I going to, you know, just pretend I'm like a perfect angel and I, I hardly drink. And in my own experience, you know, in the, in the years prior to quitting alcohol. And and by the time I quit, I had really elevated liver enzymes. I had a lot of health effects that had been popping up. And I remember specifically at one point going in and being really self-conscious about her asking me the question, because I, at that time was drinking like most days of the week. And when she said, Oh, do you drink alcohol? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, socially and I was like yeah socially and like in my head I'm like I just socialize you know five or six days a week so I answered the question correctly right and I knew that that wasn't right like we all know going into this and it's like we can game the system a little bit by not being super open but also you know it always intrigued me that most of the time the doctor doesn't, you know, they don't even ask many more questions, right? Or they'll kind of join in the party like, oh yeah, me too. And I'm doing the same thing. And, and I feel guilt in myself because there was, there were times as a clinician many years ago that I was co-signing people's drinking too, right? And the reality is that most people would be willing to spend money on supplements and do all these different things to, to support their health. But if you ask them about taking away their alcohol, it was a hell no. Right. And so it's really interesting on the other side of it. And this is part of my like amends to the world is to like change that. Right. Because I really believe exactly like you said, like as healthcare practitioners, we have the um, responsibility to change that narrative now. Like that narrative is now changing across the board. And those of us who have been educated and have gone through this experience can really do some amazing things by speaking up and helping other people and and sharing it broadly with our colleagues to say like, this is something you actually really need to be open and honest and confronting with your clients and your patients because it impacts 
more than just that patient. It impacts the world. Yes. And I think there's so much opportunity to learn how to approach that conversation with a patient. So not in a way that's going to trigger their shame or trigger defensiveness. You know, there's, there's just, there's ways to talk to people around these things that are actually a very soft place to land for them and exactly what they need in the moment. They already know this, like deep down inside, they already know this. We don't need to shame them anymore. They're already doing that. In fact, that's probably one of the primary reasons they keep going back to alcohol because shame is such a awful emotion to have to experience. And we just want it to go away. And alcohol does that in the short term until it doesn't. Yeah, totally. Well, and I just put up a post the other day on Instagram that was about, you know, healthcare practitioners. I kind of look at it in two ways. Healthcare practitioners that don't address alcohol or aren't really willing to have that conversation They either genuinely haven't had their own experience, haven't worked with clients that they've been like closely associated with alcohol use or misuse, or they are uncomfortable with their own relationship with alcohol because there's actually really high rates of alcohol abuse or misuse in medical professionals because it's a really high stress job, right? Like (laughs) this is such a silly reference. I talk about it in the book, but like I used to be a huge Grey's Anatomy fan and like what did they do they would like leave the hospital and go take shots of tequila to like de-stress yeah and so (laughs) again it's it's not really part of this like understanding of how we really truly support ourselves support our stress and what alcohol is doing and what we know from the science is it's actually making stress worse It's increasing our cortisol levels it takes there's some research that shows that it takes seven days for our cortisol levels to regulate after a night of drinking. So if we think about it in that way, right, if you're drinking once a week, even you're not even resetting your stress cortisol levels to normal before you're drinking again. So think about that compounded across if you're drinking a couple times a week or most days of the week or every day of the week, you're actually making yourself feel worse. We're kind of getting in this self-perpetuated cycle of ongoing stress. And it's really hard to get out of, but once we do, and once we kind of take steps to break that cycle, um, it's much easier for us to see that we were caught in it and to stay away from getting back into that cycle. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I normalized just feeling like shit. You know, it was like, I I was like, well, I'm I'm anxious again. Well, I guess that's just part of life and having kids, I guess you just get anxious, you know? And it's like, no, that anxiety is like almost gone. It's not that I don't experience anxiety, but I was experiencing some pretty significant 4am anxiety, waking up thinking just crazy things that could happen, or this is going to happen to my kids. And it's like, wow, that's all gone. I can't believe I lived life that long with that amount of anxiety. That's unreal to me. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's a couple of reasons why that's happening, right? Some of it has to do with our brain neurotransmitters and how they're affected by alcohol. Some of that has to do with excess cortisol production over long periods of time, as we were just talking about our stress hormone, also the effects of vitamin and mineral deficiencies, which are core foundational components of our serotonin and our dopamine. So I always talk about this kind of cycle with the brain and the brain neurotransmitters that when we have low mood or we're depressed or we're anxious, we drink alcohol. Alcohol depletes all of the vitamins that help to produce 
dopamine, serotonin, right? So we deplete out those nutrients. We're more anxious and more depressed. So we drink more and we continue to deplete out these nutrients, right? So vitamins and minerals in general are one of the biggest things that are affected by alcohol use. There's no debate on that. So whether there's debate over cardiovascular risk or health benefits, you know, or brain health or cognitive benefits, whatever they might be, there's no debate over the fact that we are depleting out almost all of our vitamins and minerals. Um, so, you know, we don't really think about how critical those things are for our mood, for our energy, for hormones, for basically all of the systems in our body to work effectively. And so that's one way that just like you said, bringing in more colors and more diversity of veggies and plant foods into the diet um, are, is going to help support replenishing those nutrients and help kind of kicking those symptoms of anxiety and depression, especially if you have quit and you're still experiencing the low mood or a lot of anxiety. For me, my first thought is there's nutrient deficiencies. And so by simple supplementation or uh, you know, again, bringing in more veggies, incorporating in more proteins, all of those things can really help to balance and offset those symptoms. I can validate every single thing you just said, because that was my experience. As I read your chapter on which vitamins and, and things were affected, every single one of those were mm -hmm. low or disrupted on my list from all of my lab mm -hmm. work. And then my cortisol, mm -hmm. of course, sky high. Well, of course it was. Plus we were coming out of a pandemic. Like that was the most stress from all different angles that I ever had to experience being a mom and, you know, figuring out what to do with the kids and working. And my husband and I both own small businesses. So that was mm. scary, you know? And so there was just, it was the most, I think just emotions I had been hit with from all aspects of life. I didn't have a break anywhere. So it made yeah. sense to me there, but also it was like, no, the alcohol, my cortisol is normal now. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Three months after I quit drinking, my cortisol is normal. Interesting. So, you know, yeah, I can validate everything you're saying because that was my exact experience. And I loved having the hard numbers. It just made it more mm -hmm. real for me. You know, it was like, yep, this is it. We all like, like to know about ourselves. It's like the idea of getting like something with your name on it personalized, right? Like we all want it to be, you know, unique to us. And especially when it comes to our bodies and our health, right? Because everybody's body is so different. Like the, the way that some people feel after they quit drinking, some people feel great within a week and they're, you know, loving it. Some people are still struggling six months down the road. And that doesn't mean that you should go back to drinking because you felt better when you were drinking. It means that what that tells me is there's something else going on that we need to address, right? So that's when I'm working with clients to say, all right, if you've, um, you've quit and you've started implementing some of these simple tools and you're still not feeling good, there's something else going on. So Rachel, that's when I'm saying, let's look at your thyroid. Let's look at your gut. Let's look at some of these other areas because there's probably some imbalance somewhere that hasn't been caught. And the likelihood is that it could likely be associated with the alcohol use history, but that doesn't mean that it's not reversible or it's not something that we can't use. Again, these tools of nutrition or supplementation or other types of wellness practices like meditation, et cetera, to, to go ahead and support that. So it's just needing that little bit of personalized awareness of your own body so that you know that this is what is really going to be helpful for you. 
Yeah. And you know, I'm in midlife, so I'm experiencing some of those perimenopausal symptoms, you know, shifting into, you know, potentially moving into menopause in the next few years, you know, and I can feel that. So I don't Mm -hmm. feel great every single day. Um, I would say most of my clients live in that sort of midlife space. They're either going through menopause or kind of, you know, uh, you know, perimenopause, what's your guidance for us to help us feel better without drinking alcohol? I find so many women that are drinking alcohol to combat the symptoms of menopause. Cause it's brutal. I mean, it doesn't feel great. Yeah. So a large majority of my clients are in the same arena. I would say between 45 and 65 is really the, the audience that seems not only to be really interested in this topic, we've been long-term drinkers, right? We're moving into that area where hormones are changing. We're starting to experience the effects of that. And the biggest thing to understand is that alcohol actually makes menopause and hormone symptoms much worse. I'm going to emphasize that (laughs) because we think that it might be helping us to cope with some of these times you know, there's changes in mood, there's changes in our physical body, there's changes in our, you know, sexual health, our relationships, there's, there's, you know, a lot going on in life in this time frame, And especially around hormones, it's something that every time I pull my audiences of like, what's most surprising to you that alcohol affects, and it's always hormones, but alcohol has a really significant impact on hormones. For a few reasons, um, one of them has to do with cortisol and how cortisol affects the production, our body's ability to produce other hormones, our sex hormones. Um, also things like our liver, alcohol obviously has a huge impact on the liver. That's another one that we all are pretty aware of. And um, the liver, many people don't recognize that the liver is an important part of how our body metabolizes and uh, eliminates hormones from our system. So when the liver is affected, that's going to affect hormones. Um, So there's a lot of different ways that hormones can be impacted. And we don't really think that alcohol is necessarily the cause of that. But if you're in midlife, you're in that, that time frame where you're noticing the hormonal changes, if you are drinking, it's absolutely making things a little bit more difficult. So especially if you're experiencing any of the hot flashes, any of the major hormonal changes that are happening right around that time. Um, Even just taking a short break from alcohol, if you were to take 30 days off, you would probably notice some changes in those those symptoms. Um, But also like one of my favorite food categories for supporting hormones is cruciferous veggies. So anything in that category of broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale, cabbage, Um, Those are all really good for liver detoxification, hormone detoxification, hormone balancing. So that's another really simple thing that you can implement into your diet. I suggest about a cup a day um, of any of those veggies, and that can also help with balancing hormones post-alcohol use. Yeah, I appreciate it. In the back of the book, you have quite a few recipes in there. So some of the smoothies, I was like, yeah, I'm going to add some of that. And why didn't I think about that? You know, so I really think that's Mm -hmm. helpful. Um, also I think a cup of broccoli feels like love, a bottle of Mm. wine, not so much, you know? So when we go Mm. back to that, what really feels like love, if I'm I'm being honest with myself, loving my body is Mm. a cup of broccoli, you know, like that is Mm -hmm. loving my body. 
Totally. And we, when totally, we look totally. at it that way, it's like a different approach. It's not like, oh, I have to eat this broccoli. You know, it's not like get to eat this broccoli. This is amazing <laughs> that I have access to this healthy food right in front of me. Yeah. And you know, our, I really believe that again, like we can connect so much more to our bodies when we are not consuming alcohol, we really become disconnected from our bodies, our minds, our emotional state, and we can really, um, utilize this time. I was just talking to one of my clients about this, who is early on in her experience in sobriety and she doesn't like to cook. She's never liked to cook. The kitchen's always been a trigger. She's used to drinking in the kitchen. And so we've been talking about it and saying, well, how do we actually take this as an opportunity to like reinvigorate your evenings with like getting in the kitchen and trying something new, you know, trying new veggies, trying new recipes, making something that you love, that your family really loves, maybe pulling the family together for a family meal. Like there are so many different ways that we can utilize food, not only from a nutrition perspective, but like a relationship perspective, a community perspective, um, and just something we can, something so positive we can focus our energy on during this time. Uh, and it doesn't need to be, again, this restrictive thing. We want to think of it as additive and how it's adding good things and not that it needs to be something else that we are, you know, taking out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't think most women need to feel like they're being more deprived than they already are. Mm -hmm. We need more pleasure in our lives, not more deprivation. Mm -hmm. So I do feel like people initially come in and they often feel like just one more thing I can't, I'm not allowed to do now. I've got to take something else mm -hmm. away. So it's almost like a victim mentality. And I want to get them in this more empowerment mentality to say, no, I totally. get to do this. What a privilege, you know, like this is amazing. And then totally. once you do it for long enough, you see how you actually have a leg up on everyone else around you that is still drinking where you're like, oh my gosh, wow. You yeah. know, and, and no yeah. judgment to them. I was there too, but it's really fascinating to watch that after you get through those first initial, you know, tough, you know, sometimes months, depending on, yeah. you know, you know, how your body works. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. The beginning sucks. Like the first sure. couple months, terrible. Suck. if you're listening <laughs> yeah. and you're in your first couple months, just hold on for the ride yes. because it does get so, 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 so much better. And you know, if you are really struggling in that period and you're in that period of time, again, this is where just even these really basic nutrition tools can help, um, like adding in the protein, like trying to focus on just getting a cup of these veggies in or, you know, more variety in the veggies in your diet and just kind of hold on through this time because there's so much, so, so, so much good stuff on the other side once you come through those first couple of months. I think that I would say after the third month, the fog really cleared for me. And that was really when I started feeling connected to my goals, my, my purpose, myself again. Um, but it really does take holding on through those early months to, but knowing that you will get there and that there's so much beauty on the other side of it. And, um, the other thing that I would suggest is another big tool that I use with clients is utilizing supplements, especially in these early first couple of months, because they can be really beneficial on, you know, boosting energy, 
craving cessation, I actually have uh, customized supplement packs through functional sobriety. So anyone who's in early sobriety or needs support with cravings, if you go to functionalsobriety.com, you'll see the supplements there. And they're really, they're individual packs. So you just get a pack, you take a pack a day. Um, and it makes it really easy to implement those things in to give you a little bit more of that boost that you need to get through this kind of more trying time. Yeah, that's really great. You know, the supplement world is a confusing, crazy mm-hmm. place, and it's really hard to know what a good supplement is versus a not so good supplement. Like how have they really tested this? Has it really been, you know, validated? And, and so that was helpful for me to have a functional medicine provider that was offering, you know, stuff that she had really vetted and she knew it was quality yeah. product. And so you're not just, you know, pissing away money for lack of a better way <laughs> to say it. Yeah. And I'm pretty quality obsessed. And we launched these supplement packs in early October, and they're actually the first ever supplements designed exclusively for the sober or sober curious. So they're individual packets that have a group of supplements within it. So it's a a combination of different things that support you depending on where you're at in your journey. So we have a packet for anyone who's under six months, packet for over six months. We have a packet for sober curious. And then we also have booster packs for cravings and for additional mood support. So it makes it really easy to say like, okay, I want to implement these tools. Obviously the supplement space is super confusing. I have 10 years of schooling and I'm still learning things. Right. (laughs) And so the, the idea is to take away all that guesswork. They're also in individual packets. So you don't have to worry about the bottles and reordering things. It's very, very easy. It has your little name on it. It's nice and customized to you. Um, so it's been a really great way to help, you know, people again, especially in those early times when like, you just, you need to make it as easy as possible, as simple as possible. Um, and you want to start feeling the benefits. So boosting the nutrients and boosting some of those avenues, supporting cortisol, normalizing cortisol, all of that is going to be really helpful. Okay. Listeners, this is a huge gift. So (laughs) when, I was starting this three years ago. I had all the bottles laid out on the counter and I'm putting them in my little pillbox. I felt like a 95 year old woman and it was a huge pain in the ass. I still like, that is still one of the Mm -hmm. things I procrastinate on where I'm like, okay, every Monday I fill in, you know, my supplements and it's changed, you know, three years out. I don't take Mm -hmm. as many, I don't need to take as many, you know, so that's great, but I still take some, you know, high quality supplements of of a couple of things that I really need. It's such a pain in the ass. I would have loved to have Mm -hmm a packet just for me where I could just open it up something else. I don't have to do because we already feel so overwhelmed, deprived all the things. So it's like, it feels like somebody's taking care of us, you know, like finally it somebody is, is taking care of me. They're giving me this gift. <laughs> so my God, I wish I would have known of you and that these would have been available three years ago. Cause that would have made life a lot simpler, you know, even to this day, I'm thinking, wow, that would be so nice just to have that alone to help support me. And it just feels like another tool, like another thing that you're using to combat this, you know, this challenging problem. It's not as simple as just quitting drinking. Well, and here's the thing, like, here's the crux of everything that you just said is we're doing a lot of different things to support our evaluating our trauma and the reasons why we drink and, you know, it's how we, integrate this in our social lives and all these other areas, right? But we we need to do something biochemically. We have to support the biology of the body. If we're only trying to attack it from our behaviors and from 
our mind, which is really, really important, we still need to address the biochemistry piece. We have to address what's going on physically in the body because that is going to help us get over that hurdle that most of us get caught up on. Oh my gosh. I couldn't agree more. I didn't know I was doing that approach when I first started. I was just like, Oh, I've heard of functional medicine. It's come up a couple of times. I think I want to start doing this, but in hindsight, dang, I'm so glad I did it the way I did because I did need that biochemical. I still had some emotional things to work through and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a huge, yeah, it's a, it's, it's not just a one, you know, approach for sure. But I do think that that kind of biochemical side really set me up for success. So I couldn't agree more with you. I, I love it. I love that you had this experience too, because it really, it really does change the outcomes that I've seen. And, um, you know, it's really, especially if you're someone who's already interested in nutrition or supplementation or some of these different wellness tools. Um, it's just a really great way in to the sobriety space by adding this extra piece. It it adds another layer that helps to customize to yourself and gives you something to focus your energy on in a positive light, right? Because a lot of it too is so negative. It's so, you know, it's, (laughs) it's, it's that deprivation again, where here it's all about bringing in more that you can do to fuel yourself, body, mind, soul. Yes. You mentioned community. I think that's a huge part of the journey. Do you mind sharing your story of just how you started building a community or even talking about not drinking? Was that easy for you? Was it a struggle? Did you lose relationships over it? I know that's a huge fear for so many people, myself included. I just thought my whole life was going to blow up if I didn't drink alcohol. And that really Mm -hmm. didn't happen for me. (laughs) Um, So I'm curious about yours. Yeah, I think we all catastrophize over like what's going to happen without alcohol. And and it's very normal for us to do that, right? We've spent typically our whole lives drinking to this point. So we don't, we haven't experienced that. We don't know any other way, right? And I remember in my early days of quitting and and I attended 12 step when I first quit. And I remember like, you know, in my first couple days being like, well, what about at my wedding? I mean, I think I had a boyfriend, but it was not a very serious boyfriend. Like here I am thinking about these things that are literally years, if ever out, you know, away from me. Um, You know, what about my birthday, which was nine months away? What about, you know, all these things that are really, really far away. And part of what I most benefited from in being in a community in my early days was getting that support to say, just stay right here, stay where your feet are, stay where your hands are. And just focus on today, because when you get to that thing, like when my birthday finally came, it was, it was months later, I was much more comfortable in my sobriety. I was, you know, I wasn't thinking of it the same way I was when I was still in physical withdrawal from alcohol. Right. And, um, you know, my experience in 12 step, I had experience in 12 step prior to, to going in for alcohol and, So it gave me a little bit more comfort in going into that. But one thing that I recognized was how shameful it is for a lot of people. And that for a long time, something like AA was really the only option. And it feels very extreme for a lot of people. It feels like this, you know, you have to be at a true rock bottom, quote unquote, to be to be taking that step. 
And when I started getting into talking about nutrition more and, and learning more about this kind of gray area space and the communities that have now popped up to support people who don't necessarily identify as alcoholics or want to label themselves as that is it really comes down to, and, and what I write about in the book is in the first couple of pages is like, you, you don't have to call yourself anything. You can call yourself an alcoholic if you want. You could call yourself um, an alien if you want. It doesn't matter to me. All that matters is if you want to change your drinking, that you have support around you that can help you do that, right? Yes, so, amen, sister. Yes. <laughs> so part of why I created community is because I just, I felt really passionately about there's a lot of community around wellness and there's a lot of community around sobriety. And my, I felt really passionately about marrying the two things together and and providing a space for people to get that dual support and it not just be you know all focused on this sometimes really negative perception of recovery right um for me i think everybody who's sober or wanting to get sober needs to find some type of community um, whether it's got wellness, you know, built into it, like our functional sobriety network does, which is my program, um, or it's an AA program, or it's any one of the other programs that exist out there today, it's really important to find people that have had experiences like you, because so many of us feel alone in our experiences with alcohol. And when you start going into these rooms and you start joining meetings and talking with other people, you hear, wow, I am not alone in the way that I felt. And it's really comforting to know that A, you're not the only person who's struggled and experienced the things that you have, but B, it's really helpful to see people that have made it through some of the worst times and come out on the other side and they're okay. Like yes. to know that someone who was drinking most days of the week, their whole life was invested in alcohol and to see them come out on the other side and have this really beautiful changed life makes me go, okay, maybe that can happen to me too. Yes. So exactly like you're saying around relationships, like we deal with this all the time, especially with personal relationships with, with spouses or significant others, right? That a lot of times those relationships were founded on drinking, right? Uh -huh. And so if one person decides they're going to change, well, now we've changed the dynamic of the relationship. Yeah. So if the other person is not in the same mindset or wanting to change, that creates a huge rift, right? And so we really need to get a lot of support on that and really start thinking about us and what we want, what's right for us. And, um, you know, I think that one thing that sobriety has really taught me is just keeping the focus on my myself, um, you know, whether that be in relationships, in friendships, in family relationships, in work, whatever it might be, um, because whenever I'm outside of myself is when we don't have as much control or we don't have as much comfort in our own body. And that's what we want to escape. Yes. So the community is so important for, for so many reasons. I mean, I could, I could talk, talk it to death, I think, but um, I'll just leave it at that. 
Yeah. Well, I had that experience with my husband, which I've shared on the podcast multiple times, but I told him, I think I want to quit drinking. And he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, like kind of just brush <laughs> it off. And we, that was our thing. We would go out on date nights and we would have our mm-hmm. drinks and, you know, sometimes it was like one or two drinks. Sometimes it was two or three. It just kind of depended, you know? And so it was like, gosh, what is this going to do? So we started going out and I was just either ordering like some sort of a mocktail or just water, you know, and, or whatever, you know? Um, and it was about 30 days in and he's like, how long is this? Like, how long are you going to do this? And I was like, well, uh, right now I really like how I'm feeling. So I'm going to do this for as long as I feel like it's the best for me. And I need you to not ask me about it again. It's you just don't ask me about it again. And he's like, okay, you know, no problem. I think in hindsight, I needed to be a little more patient. Part of my thinking around it was he should get on board. He should want to quit drinking too, to support me. He's not supporting me. And that wasn't what was going on. I was on my own journey and exactly what you said. I kept going back to, this is what is best for me. And that is what I'm going to do. In the past, my people-pleasing nature may have had a drink or drank more than I wanted to because I didn't want him to drink alone. And yeah. I was finally- Or you didn't want to feel the discomfort of what would happen yes, if exactly. he was drinking and you weren't. Yeah. And I was finally done with that bullshit. Like that was part of my rock bottom too, is I need to do what's best for me, not people-please. And honestly, he didn't care. Like when I look back on it, he really did not care. And he drank a lot less because I was mm-hmm. drinking a lot less. And it was like, how interesting, mm-hmm. not because I forced him to, or told him it's, you know, if you don't quit drinking, our relationship is over. It had nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. He was just noticing, oh, she's drinking less. I'm not going to have a drink now. Oh, I'm feeling better too. So how interesting, you know? So I fully agree. Keep the focal point on you and what is best for you. Even if your friends give you a shit, cause you don't go out and have a drink. Like, you know, it, okay. And anyone who's not supportive of you, like taking care of yourself is sure. questionable sure. how that relationship is impacting you in several ways. Right. Agreed. So yeah. the way I think about whether it's, um, again, significant others or friendships, one of two things usually happens. People either get on board or they start to dissipate out of your life because, right. and that's okay too. Yes. Like it's okay to let go of those things. It's part of your growth. It's part of your expansion toward yourself, toward your purpose, toward your, you know, your higher self, I believe. And, um, and when we can just trust that. And, and again, that's where community is really important because we just need support. We need people around us who are non-drinkers or who have gone through the same experience and that can really help shine a light for us where we, we haven't been able to see before. Yeah. And I would encourage people to try on different communities. So if you try one mm-hmm. and it's not the right fit, you don't have to just throw the whole thing out keep looking, keep exploring. You'll find it. It exists out there. We have two alcohol-free shops in Indiana, which is unbelievable because Indiana is not usually ahead of anything. (laughs) And so (laughs) we have two like really wonderful alcohol-free shops. One is like 10 minutes from my house and they host events all the time. And I go in for those events and it really does feel like community. It feels like I've met new friends. It doesn't feel like it. I have met new friends through this entire journey. And I never would have done it if I, you know, if I wasn't talking about it and people are like, oh, I noticed this and you should go here. And, you know, I noticed you posted about this and you keep talking about not drinking. Did you know there's an alcohol free store opening? You should meet the sisters that are opening it. And I'm like, so it just Mm kind of, you know, continues to spiral and you find those right communities. So I would just encourage people don't, don't get discouraged by 
trying one thing and it doesn't work or trying five things and it it just doesn't feel right for you. It exists out there. I really do believe Mm -hmm. that there is something for everyone out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the first things that you can do if you haven't already is just get on Instagram and follow a bunch of people who are speaking openly about sobriety, because that in and of itself is a huge community. Um, you know, and, and I think it leads to a lot of really interesting places, exactly like you're saying, following, um, you know, local non-alcoholic shops and and finding events near you and finding people near you perhaps, or joining a community that's entirely online and, and exploring it that way, right? There's so many different ways post pandemic. I think there's some benefits that have come out of it. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And I found TikTok in my early years to be Mm -hmm. really helpful. And I started talking about it on TikTok and it was like, oh, wow, I'm really not alone. There's a lot of people that resonate Mm -hmm. with this gray area drinking because that's how I identify. Mm -hmm. Like I was in that gray area space. It didn't feel bad enough to do anything about, but it also didn't feel good. So I'm like, well, what's Mm -hmm. something's got to give here. And speaking of, there's a part in the book, and this is like a huge piece of advice that I'd love to offer you. If you are still following accounts that glamorize drinking and hangovers, unfollow. They got to go because that is toxic to see on your feeds. It's toxic to continue. Like I remember in my, the worst of my drinking, following all the accounts that, you know, made jokes of being hungover and, you know, having your makeup all over your face and what have you. And and we laugh and we feel connected in that way. But if you get rid of that and you follow the sober accounts, you're going to find much more positive messaging to help support your journey. I think especially in that first year or so, that is really important. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, now three years into this, when I hear a friend say, oh my God, I'm so hungover. Or, oh, I can't have a drink. I'm I just I'm so hungover from last night. It just is almost like more empowering mm-hmm. for me, more fuel. Cause I'm like, I don't ever have to feel like that again. That is amazing. Yeah. I'm so happy about yeah. that. You know, like it yeah. really, I think it shifted. In the early years, I would have been like, oh yeah, I don't feel hungover. I want to be in community with you and feel hungover. And it's like, what are we doing mm-hmm. here? Like, how have we created community around feeling like shit? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, any last thoughts or anything, if you could just tell the community one thing that you wish everybody knew about this journey. One thing I wish everyone knew about this journey is that everything that you've ever truly wanted for yourself is on the other side of alcohol. I really believe that eliminating alcohol changed my life in so many ways that I never could have imagined early on in this journey. And as we were talking about in the beginning, those first couple of months, they're not fun. If you're in there again, I freaking get it. We get it. You're not alone. Find some community and just trust that there is something so much bigger and better for you on the other side. And the biggest and best thing that was for me on the other side was writing this book. And it's been a labor of love of two years of writing it. And I'm so excited for everyone to have it in their hands, in their earbuds, uh, on their Kindles. And um, it's really just been 
such a pleasure for me to share my experience in this way, in a way that I really truly believe can change your life if you're listening. So I hope you pick up the book and, uh, and, uh, you know, follow me on Instagram for info on, on launch events and lots of content on nutrition and supplements and all of that good stuff too. So yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure being here today, Rachel. Thank you so much for having oh my me. Gosh, Yes. Well, I loved reading the book. It was a super quick read for me too. It felt like I was just blowing through it. Cause everything, like every page I turned, I'm like, yes. Oh yeah. That makes sense. Yes. You know, it was like, I was able to connect it to my own journey. So I would highly mm. recommend it. It'll go on my quit lit list that I recommend to people for sure. Especially those that are really interested in like the well-being aspect. So that was the mm-hmm. primary reason I wanted to quit was my own health and well-being. And I was recognizing mm-hmm. both my mental and physical health were drastically being impacted by alcohol. And just one chapter in Quit Like a Woman around health was helpful for me. And you mm-hmm. blow that all up. Like you really expand on all of that and really talk more about the science side of things, which I really appreciated. So it's a lovely book. I agree. I don't think you would have written it. Well, you certainly would have written it on this topic, but you wouldn't have written it. If you I definitely wouldn't have written it. On this I wouldn't topic. be, yeah, I wouldn't be doing <laughs> what I'm doing. If you would have told me five years ago, if you would have told me five years ago totally. that in 2023, I'd be publishing a book on nutrition and alcohol. I would be like, yeah, about how you could drink alcohol. And- <laughs> it's fine. It's part of a balanced diet. Just keep drinking alcohol. Yeah. I hear you. If you would have told me five years ago, I'd be doing this. I would have laughed in your face it was never on the horizon. It was just one of those things that sort of happened. And that's the beauty of getting sober. So yeah. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I know that if you're listening and you are curious about it, there's something really beautiful for you too. Yes. And I agree with you. I had to wait till the timing was right for me or it felt like not the timing was right from a calendar perspective, but where I felt like okay, this is it. I'm doing something about this. Cause like I said, I kind of played around. I was sober curious for about a year, you know, where I was kind of like, oh. and then the pandemic hit and I'm like, screw that. I'm going to drink all I want. And then I'll just stop drinking once this pandemic's over. Well, easier said than done. So yeah. Innately we know, right? Like, you know, in your gut when it's time, Yeah, you know, so yeah. trust that, follow that because that's telling you that there's really something special on the other side for you. Yes. Well, Dr. Brooke, thank you for the work you're doing. I absolutely love it. I might go and get some of those supplement packets so I don't have to have my stupid things all over my counter every day. So yeah. Yes, please do check them out. Functionalsobriety.com. You can find info on all of my programs, the supplements, my online course, my online network, um, and tons more information, lots of resources there and also on my Instagram. So I hope to uh, speak with you again sometime soon. We're super connected in, in what we do. So I hope we can yes. work together again in the future. Yes. Yeah, so maybe you can just come back and be a recurring guest. I'm sure there's so much more wisdom you have to share with us. So thank you so much, Rachel. It's been a pleasure being here. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can be reminded for my weekly Wednesday episodes. If you're curious about my programs and options of ways to work with me, check out rachelpritz.com. And if that's not interesting to you right now, no problem. Just keep listening along for free. Either way, I'm here for you.